0: Hebrews 10. We're going to attempt to go through the whole chapter, so buckle up. It's a great chapter. This chapter kind of starts off with a slow acceleration, and when we get to verse 19, it just punches you in the face. Uh, with some really good stuff. Uh, So let's pray and let's get into it tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you're our anchor, you're our shepherd, you're our high priest. And Lord, we don't want to make it about anything but you, that there's none but you, Jesus. And we pray that we could grow in living by faith. And so we just invite you into this service. We pray that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. The question that Hebrews 10 presents is, how do we live? How do we live? What's the the source of our life? What sustains us? What grows us? We find at the end of the chapter, the just shall live by faith. That's how God wants us to live, is that we live through faith, through trusting Christ. We look at this Hebrew church as they're receiving this letter, and they're being tempted to live by the law, to live by their own works, to trust in their own effort. And I know it's simple to say, isn't it? the just live by faith. We're saved by faith, by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but also we continue in our relationship with the Lord through faith, through trusting in him. It's really that simple. It's that good. He is that good. Please read ahead into Hebrews chapter 11, because next week we'll get into Hebrews chapter 11, where it's examples of faith. I mean, To really live by faith and trust the Lord day to day in our circumstances sometimes is easier said than done. But God delights when we trust him. God delights when we choose to uh, live by faith. So we live by faith. Let's begin in verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So remember the temptations to go back under the law and here the author of Hebrews is saying the law is simply a shadow but is not the image. Now, a shadow's pretty cool. A shadows amazing. It, it points to the fact that there's substance. It points to the fact that there's reality. So so the law all along as we study it is pointing to the reality of Christ. But if we were to get caught up in the law and miss the point, miss Christ, then we've missed it completely. In Colossians 2 verse 17, it says something similar. It says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So the shadow is the law, but it's pointing to the reality, which is Christ. The sacrificial system, the sacrifice yearly on the day of atonement, could not make those perfect. And that's an emphasis of the first section of Hebrews 10. If it couldn't make us perfect, then there has to be a greater sacrifice. Verse 2, For then would they have not ceased to be offered, speaking of the sacrifices. If they made those people perfect, then you would no longer have to have sacrifice. For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins verse 3 but in those sacrifices there is a remainder a reminder of sin every year for it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins so as the day of atonement would come it was a yearly reminder of the sins for the nation of Israel also the sacrifice of the bulls the sacrifice of the goats it couldn't take away sin In the Hebrew, the the word atonement for day of atonement, it means to cover. So the whole idea was to cover sin in the old covenant, but Jesus removes our sin. He doesn't just cover our sin, but he removes our sin. So there's a greater sacrifice than the blood of bulls and goats. In verse 5, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you've prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. Quote from Psalms 40, speaking of Jesus. First, it tells us that of the sacrifice and the offerings was never God's end game. It's not what he desired. He wasn't just Longing for a bull or goat to be killed to cover sin, but it was pointing to Christ. And what he did desire here in verse 5 is a body you've prepared for me. We think of all of the creation of God and God's works. And one of the greatest wonders is that God would take on human flesh, that there was a body prepared for Jesus Christ, the God-man, the incarnation. Not like us. In the sense that we've got 23 chromosomes from dad, 23 chromosomes from mom, making up that DNA. But Christ, with the virgin birth, he's got the chromosomes from Mary, but then he's God, the God-man. And his body was prepared to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. The burnt offerings and the sacrifices, God had no pleasure. But again, speaking of Christ, he came in the volume of the book. Man, God's word is so good. I hope that you're enjoying studying God's word on your own, as well as here's a a church family. Maybe you've been intimidated by the Old Testament. You're like, I don't know if, if I could read the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can read the Old Testament. You'll be blown away by the book of Genesis. It's so good. And as you're reading through the Old Testament, look for Jesus. Because here, it's speaking of Jesus, and it says he comes in the volume of the book. All of this points to Jesus. The Old Testament is foreshadowing Christ. The Gospels is Jesus in human flesh. And the book of Acts and the epistles is how Christ lives through through his church. So try it out. Read the Old Testament and say, Father, would you show me Jesus on the pages of, of the Old Testament? Christ was risen from the dead, and he's walking on the road of Emmaus. And he says this to his disciples, And the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I wish we had that teaching of Christ. What a great way to take in instruction from the Lord as you're walking. And Jesus goes through all of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, all of the prophets, and he says, This is where it points to me. This is where it points to me. Jesus comes in the volume of the book. Hebrews does a great job of showing us Christ in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was all about Jesus. The high priest was all about Jesus. These sacrifices pointed to to Jesus. And as he comes in the volume of the book, he came to do the Father's will. He came laying down his life, and the fullest expression of that was at the cross when he was crucified for our sin. In verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you didn't desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So remember we learned a few weeks ago, I had the old cell phones up here They're obsolete, right? They don't work. Good luck taking them into the ATT store to use them today. The old covenant is obsolete. Christ has done away with the old covenant to bring us into this new contract with God. And verse 10: but that we will have, excuse me, by that we will have been sanctified sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we're not sanctified through the law. We're not sanctified by going back to this old sacrificial system. But we're sanctified by the offering of the body of Christ one time for for sin. So what does the word sanctified mean? It means to be set apart, set apart for God's purpose, for, for holiness to be conformed to his image. How does that happen? Through the blood of Jesus. As he died on the cross for us and we receive it through faith, then our life is no longer our own and we're set apart for his purposes. We're, we're sanctified. Christ is committed to holiness in our lives. Don't misunderstand. It's not that God's saying that a godly life is not important. It's the motivation of the heart. It's the free gift that's given to us through Christ and his sacrifice then moves us to want to live a godly life, empowers us uh, to be able to live a godly life. Verse 11 and 12. And every priest stands ministering daily. So every day they stood and ministered in the tabernacle in the temple. And offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. As I was meditating upon this today, I thought, this has to be a very depressing job as the priests. So every day, here they are, doing these rituals, making these sacrifices... All of the things that are subscribed in the law, doing it tediously, but it didn't result in taking away sin. It didn't result in changed lives. It didn't result in people being able to come into God's throne room, into God's presence. The veil was, was still there. In verse 12, But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God, speaking of Jesus. This man, Jesus, when he was offered one time for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. This shows us the magnitude of the value of Christ, that God in human flesh could be crucified for sin one time. That's how valuable Christ is. That's how valuable his his blood is, that sin would be forgiven forever. I mean, if you were to spend time reading the news today and you really delved into it on a deep level you'd probably be overwhelmed with the sin of humanity right if we spent a lot of time introspectively looking at our own hearts we'd be overwhelmed by our own sin struggles amen and christ his sacrifice was sin forever yes even this generation and generations to come and generations past he he died for sin to take away sin and he sat down at the right hand of God. The author of Hebrews keeps coming back to this. He's saying, Don't move away from Jesus. Don't trust in your own works. Don't go back under the law. Look at your high priest. He's seated at the throne, it's a position of rest. It means the work is complete. Probably when today's done, you might sit down in your favorite chair, put up your feet. What are you communicating? Ah, I'm at rest. Some of you are like, I wish I was there right now. You can picture it, right? Christ is seated at the throne because the price has been paid for sin. We're forgiven completely. Verse 13, for that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. This is prophecy of the second coming. All of the enemies of Christ, those that reject Christ as their Savior, the nations of the world will be put under Christ. As you read the book of Revelation, it's Christ coming to judge a Christ-rejecting world. Ultimately, all things and current events are moving towards the second coming of Jesus Christ. Earthquakes are a sign of his coming to cause us to look for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Wars and rumors of wars. Things happening with us shooting down planes in Syria and Russia, getting upset. All of this is pointing to the fact the Bible is moving somewhere. God is on the throne. He's got a plan and it's going to end with Christ coming and ruling and reigning over the nations. We don't know when that's going to take place. We're to be looking in expectation until Christ causes all to be put under his feet. Verse 14, but by one offering, he has been perfected He has perfected forever those who are being sacrificed. See the emphasis here? The repetition? One offering has resulted in Christ perfecting us. Christ sanctifying us. The bulls and the goats could never do this. They could never justify sinners. Verse 15, we have the witness of the Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds, and I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So the Holy Spirit is, is bearing witness of the new covenant. We know when we receive Christ our Savior, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. Our guarantee. It's that down payment that we're the the child of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're the, the child of God. And specifically, the Holy Spirit then speaks the word into us. These promises from Jeremiah 31, that God writes his laws upon our hearts. We studied this a few weeks ago as well. The Holy Spirit's so good at that, of working God's word into our hearts and into our minds, him writing his will upon our hearts, and then also that our sins are remembered no more from the Lord. So the new covenant is inward transformation and complete forgiveness. I wonder sometimes from the Lord if we continue to go to him for asking for forgiveness for the same thing. Like say we we, we really blew it. We go to the Lord and say, God, would you forgive me? And we're talking about the same event, the same instance, and we go the next day, God, would you forgive me? And we go the next day, God, would you forgive me? And we go the next day, God, would you forgive me? And you say, I don't even remember your sin. I I forgave you the first time you asked. He he chooses to remember our sins no more. He completely removes our, our sin from us. This is something that's unique to God. If I sinned against you, and you sinned against me. We could forgive, but we wouldn't forget, right? Like I, I remember, you know, and I forgive you, but don't you ever try that again, <laughs> you know? But God, He He chooses to forget. He He chooses to hold not hold our sins against us. In verse eighteen, and then going into verse nineteen. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So now this chapter really starts to ramp up. We've kind of been slowly hitting the gas pedal, and now the author of Hebrews just really gives us some great promises and great exhortation. He says, we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of the Lamb. So the blood of Jesus completely forgives us and sanctifies us, but gives us access to the holiest of all tabernacle also is a shadow of the reality of heaven you'd have the holy place which was the outer courts with the veil that would then lead to the holiest of all the high priest could only go in one day a year but now because of the blood of Jesus we have access we get to come boldly because of the blood of Jesus not because of who we are what are some things we don't have access to all right. Think about some things that you don't have access to. Every once in a while when I'm traveling, especially on an international trip, there'll be like, uh, you know, the the United Club that you could pay extra money to be a part of, or this airline club, and, and the door will open, and I'll look inside, and it's always so cool in there, and they've got like refreshments, and everybody just looks happier in there, and, and they, and they have places for their legs, you know. And then you you look down the terminal and it's just filled up with the worst seats, you know. They're canvas and everybody's been sweating on them and it's tight and you're looking for a place to plug in your computer or your, or, or your phone and you're like, man, sure be nice to have access into there, right? But I don't have access into there. A big thing in our world is having access to internet, to, to Wi-Fi. Like sometimes I'll do some studying at a, a coffee shop and it seems like, you know, coffee shops will change how you access the, the internet. And today, this coffee shop that I regularly go to says, you know, you pull it up and they say, we, we've changed our internet and, and we're trying to do this and do that. So if you want to have access, enter in your email or your Facebook or your Twitter. It's like, I, I can't remember my Facebook password it's like mama 1978 I don't know doesn't no? that, that wasn't it right so and so I'll put put in my email address because I got to have access to to Wi-Fi so that I can do my work and prepare Bible studies and write write emails right it's like access but here we've been given access to what really matters to the throne room of God and let's just, it's summertime it's hot What if someone said that they were going to give you complete free access to Josh and John Ice Cream? If you've never been there, it's really good. Cost you an arm and a leg, but it's really good. You can you can just have unlimited access to Josh and John Ice Cream. Like, oh, that sounds too good to be true, right? Who would who would give me unlimited access? You'd be a fool to not go take advantage of it. It's it's been provided. All you have to do is receive it by faith and go enjoy it. God's saying, look, I have taken care of the sin problem. What, what separated you from being able to have fellowship with me has been defeated by the blood of my son. So now come on in. Take advantage of that access. And it's far greater than any internet connection. It's far greater than, you know, anything in any airport. It's the very throne room of God with boldness. In verse 20, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. So the old covenant was rules-based. The new covenant is relationship-based, and it's new and it's living. A relationship with Christ is new and it's living. It's fresh. It's current. He's our Savior that's ever-present in our life. It goes so much further than rules I hope you know it's about a relationship with Christ, the new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil. So he's the one that's brought us through the veil. That is his flesh. The writer of Hebrews makes an analogy between the veil that stood between God and man and the body of Jesus. Jesus' body was torn and so was the veil, each indicating that now we can come to God boldly. Pretty powerful analogy. Christ's body was torn. The veil is torn so that we can come into God's presence. When Christ was crucified, the veil was torn from top to bottom. God was saying, You're now welcomed into my presence. And having a high priest over the house of God, who's the high priest? Jesus. You have a high priest. Now, here's how we respond. Here's our response to this amazing gift that we've been given to in Christ. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart. God's saying, Come on in, fellowship with me. Come on in, draw near to me. That's what I believe the church of Hebrews is really missing. As we've been studying week after week of the greatness of Jesus and the danger of turning away from him, the danger of going under the law, they have been missing out on drawing near to Jesus and saying, come, draw near to Jesus. Spend time with Jesus in full assurance, in full confidence that he's done this in your life, that he's cleansed you and he's sprinkled you of an evil conscience. He's, he's washed your body with, with pure water. There's something about Christ where he has the ability to do that. When we draw near to him, he he is so good at revealing my heart and saying, Eric, you're not where you're supposed to be, but I want to cleanse you. I want to purify you. I want to change you from the inside out. And sometimes I wonder if we don't really want to draw near to him because we know our sin's going to be exposed. It's like we can play games with each other, but we can't play games with Jesus. And And when we fully come near to him and we draw near to him, he loves us. And so he's going to purify us. How long has it been since we've drawn near to Jesus? That We've we've said, man, Jesus, you're so good. You're so great. You're so kind. This is what you've done for me. So I'm drawing near to you. What maybe keeps us from drawing near to Christ? Busyness, oftentimes, doesn't it? can be difficult to take the time. Sometimes we're distracted. We're, we're busy, but we're also distracted when we do get time. We don't use it to, to seek the Lord. Sometimes it's our own sin and our, our own rebellion. But God's invitation is always open for us to be able to draw near to him. Why does God give us the illustration of a marriage to be a relationship with Christ? He says that the husband represents Christ, and the wife represents the church. So the way that a wife responds to her husband is to be a living illustration of how the church responds to Jesus. And Jesus, as the ultimate husband, as the ultimate pursuer, he's always saying, I want to be in relationship with you. He's always saying, I want your heart. I want to draw near to you. I don't want you to just go through the motions. I don't want you to just check boxes. I don't want you to just get, get too, too busy. Inevitably, there's some husband out there that's pursuing their wife, and the wife maybe is not interested. And she, says, she says, no, thank you. How many times is Christ pursuing me, but I say no, thank you? I don't respond to him. I don't, I don't draw near to him. So this is what the author of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit is after, is is draw near to Jesus and trust his work. Don't trust in in your own work. And these exhortations build upon each other. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So as we're drawing near, we're holding fast to that confession of hope that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We're not wavering. We're not second-guessing that. We're not being double-minded because he who promised is faithful. This is the gospel. This is what's at stake for the Hebrew church is they're wavering on the gospel. They're wavering on the belief of how a person is saved. So, So hold on to that confession. There's a lot of things we won't get right in life, but get the gospel right, amen? And hold fast to it. Know it. Jesus died for me. He died for my sins. He rose again. He's my Savior. He's the Lord of my life. I'm trusting that. I'm holding fast to that confessing. So as I'm drawing near to Christ, I'm holding on to his grace. I'm holding on to that confession of hope. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Notice the order. In order to consider brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to first... Be drawing near to the Lord. We're not going to have a lot to offer fellow believers if we don't have an intimate relationship with Christ. So, As he's pouring into us, then the overflow happens. And consider one another so that you can love and stir up good works. To stir up love and good works. Sometimes things just need to get stirred up. Church, things need to get stirred up. If you've got a can of paint and it hasn't been opened for three years or five, and all of a sudden you've got to get it open, man, it needs to be stirred up. Get that sucker stirred up, right? There's still some good ingredients in there, but you've got to, got to stir it up. And God wants us to be stirred. And how does that happen? Through other believers. So we need to be in relationship with Christ, but we also need to be in relationship with other believers. Because other believers are going to stir us to love and good works. Have you ever been around another brother or sister in Christ? And you go, wow. That, that's really challenging me to love in a different way. That's really challenging me to serve in a different way. That, that's God's intent. He wants us to be stirring each other up to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Amazing new covenant grace that's been given to us. And as we understand that, we respond by drawing near to the Lord, by considering other believers to stir up love and good works. And then we're commanded here. This is a command that's given to us by God. Don't forsake gathering together as believers, as is the custom of some. Some give up on fellowship. Give up on being in relationship with believers. And the more that you see the day of Christ's return approaching, the more fellowship you want to have in your life. Now please hear me on this, on this verse, and on this truth, in this section of scripture. You will be tested on this, if you haven't been already. Because Satan does not want you close to Christ, And in fellowship with believers. He's always going to try to take us out of an intimate relationship with Christ and a deep relationship with believers. So you have to fight for it. You got to determine to say, I'm going to continue to draw near to Christ and I'm going to be in relationship with believers. Because believers are also sinners. Have you experienced that? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. So as we hang out together, what do we do? We sin against each other. A friend of mine puts it this way, that Christians sometimes are like manure. When they're all together, they really stink. But when you spread them out, they do a lot of good, right? Come on, sometimes hanging out with believers really stinks, doesn't it? It's difficult. We we get to know each other, we, we love each other, we care for each other, and then we sin against each other in a really big way. And our tendency is to go, I didn't expect to be hurt by another believer that way. Up here we know that they're a sinner, but then when they sinned against us, or if we sin against them, we're in, we're in shock. And the enemy is so quick to come in and say, you know what? It's a waste of time to go to Wednesday night Bible study. It's a waste of time to have a home church. Your church doesn't save you. You don't need to go to church. You, you'll, you'll be, you'd be better off just being at home on Wednesday night reading your Bible. Or your sanctuary is the national forest. Just, just go out there, read your Bible, sing, get your guitar, and you'll have such an intimate relationship with Jesus. But wait a second, God's saying we need to be in fellowship with believers. So when you get hurt by another believer, remember what's at stake. Satan's trying to take you outside of the body to isolate you to where you become vulnerable. Once we're isolated, we become much more susceptible to the attack of the enemy. We need one another. We need to be in fellowship together. So choose to forgive. Say, I know I've sinned against others. I've just been sinned against. So I'm choosing to forgive. I feel like running away from the body of Christ, but I'm pressing into the body of Christ. And there will be times to leave a particular church. God may be leading you to go to a new church, or you're coming from another church. And when people come up to me and they say, you know, we're, we're leaving RMC, I'm like, oh, okay, well, share with me why. But you know, the question I'm always trying to get at, well, where are you going? Where are you going to go? Because I sure hope you're not going to give up on church. I sure hope that you're not just going to punt and throw in the towel and not be in fellowship with believers, because that's going to make you really vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. I need this exhortation tonight from God's Word to recommit to being in fellowship with believers. So what what does this mean to be in fellowship, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Yes, it's in this fashion. It's important to gather corporately and worship and study the Word God really blesses that and the fellowship before and after. But it's also really important to have relationship with other believers on a, on a real personal level. Guys, have two or three guys in your life that you can really connect with and be accountable with. And ladies, have two or three ladies that you can have in your life to, to really have that fellowship uh, together with. And maybe you have those people in your life Recommit to being in relationship with them. I'm really blessed to have a group of guys that I meet with on Friday mornings. And it's a men's accountability group and I'm not pastor in that group. I just get to be Eric and share my own struggles because I have them. And when, you know Friday morning comes and a lot of times I don't want to go. It's 6:15 in the morning and I would much rather stay home, right? Drink coffee by myself read my Bible by myself, right? Do my own thing. But I need to be in fellowship, and that group has been monumental for me and will continue to be in the future. So this is an easy verse to kind of look at to point at somebody else, but apply it to our own hearts and lives and say, I want to be drawing near to Christ and be in fellowship with believers. I know I'm really belaboring this point, but What Amber and I have experienced in in our lives is when hard times come, and they do, you'll experience loss. There'll be death of loved ones. You know, there's just hard times. Is those are the times that we go, oh, we're so thankful to be plugged into the body of Christ. We're thankful at other times as well. But it's when things are very difficult, we go, man, we don't know what we would do without relationship with other believers. And if you wait, until your life hits the fan, it's really hard to form those relationships in crisis. You can, you can, it's never too late, you can, but it's much better to be walking through life with believers, hurt and all, forgiveness at all, and then when hard time comes, you have friends that are calling you saying, hey, I'm praying for you. So sorry that you're going through this. Can we, can we bring you a meal? Hey, we're, we're here for you. And you know the Lord's with you, but it's so comforting to know that brothers and sisters in Christ are are there. So wherever you're at in this journey, if God needs to heal your heart, he wants to heal your heart. If he needs to pour living water into you to where you're willing to give the body of Christ another chance, then, then let that, that take place. If, if you feel like you've been drifting a bit from the body, man, man, press in. If you say, I've never really had a relationship with other believers, press in. Because We know we're getting closer to the return of Christ. So the idea here is we're going to need those relationships more and more. You guys doing okay? All right. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. This verse is really dangerous if you study it just by itself. And it's not in context of the whole book of Hebrews. Because when we think of the willful sin of the book of Hebrews, what is it? It is to reject the finished work of Jesus Christ, to trust in your own works through the law. That's what this church was facing. That's the the willful sin and they, after they've received the, the knowledge of the truth to, to leave the sacrifice of Christ, to go back under the law, then there remains, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. I like the way that David Guzik put this in his commentary. He says, in a sense, every sin is a willful sin. But here, the writer of Hebrews speaks of something much more severe and relevant to this discouraged Jewish Christian's who contemplated a retreat from a distinctive Christianity and a return to Judaism with its sacrificial system. There is, this is turning you, your back on Jesus. And we see this in the next few verses as well. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversary. Anyone who rejected Moses' law dies without mercy On the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? This is exactly what would take place if these Hebrew Christians stopped trusting in the new covenant and went back underneath the law. They would be trampling the Son of God underfoot. What do you put underneath your feet? Something that you don't value. So they're saying, I don't value Christ. I don't trust in his finished work anymore. The blood of the covenant is put under their feet. And they insult the spirit of grace. So faith values Christ that's the lesson of verse 29 is if we have faith and we're going to live by faith then we're going to value Christ. In verse 30 for we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord. And again the Lord will judge his people. What what ultimately brings God's judgment upon a person? It's the rejection of Christ. It's to count Christ as a common thing. To say I don't need Christ anymore in my life, or I've never needed Christ. And and in that case, then vengeance is mine. God says that he will judge his people. Verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So faith values Christ, but also faith displays a godly fear. You know, it should cause us fear and trembling if we were to stand account before God apart from Jesus. The book of Proverbs teaches us over and over again that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I've been reading the Proverbs lately, and it really stands out to me, that the awe of God and the the respect of God. So faith values Christ, and then faith also displays this godly fear. In verse 32, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured great struggle with suffering. The author of Hebrews is saying, man, I want you to remember when you came to the light, when you trusted Christ for salvation, and you've suffered so much in Christ's name, why would you go back under the law? Why would you stop being in fellowship? Why would you stop being in relationship and loving the body of Christ? It seems from my perspective of scripture and watching people, it's hard to finish well, isn't it? There's something about that last season of our lives where for whatever reason, temptation gets very strong again. And it's easy to drift from the word and get ourselves into things that we never thought we would, would get into. When you're reading of the Kings and the Chronicles in the Old Testament, These great men of God that love the Lord and serve God, and then all of a sudden, towards the end of their life, they get prideful, they get their eyes off the Lord, they get in idolatry. Man, I didn't see that coming. I I didn't expect for him to go that way. It's like he's endured so much. He's gone through so many things, and to give up at, at this point. And that's what the author's speaking to the Hebrew church and saying, man, you've suffered so much. You've already gone through so much. Why would you turn away from Christ now? Maybe think about that in your own life. Maybe you, you've been saved for five months, but it's really cost you. Why, why would you give up? Maybe you've been saved for 25 years. It's like, why would you give up, you know? You've, you've gone through so much for Christ. Why would you throw in the towel? Keep trusting in him. Keep walking with him. Keep, keep serving him. So let's pray for one another that we can finish strong. You know, we we want to finish being in love with Christ and trusting in Christ. Speaking of some of the hardships that they've already gone through, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulation, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. A spectacle is an event in regard to visual impact, mocked, made fun of, publicly ridiculed, we get the idea of theater from this word spectacle. So they had been mocked severely for their love for Christ, gone through tribulation. Verse 34 For you had compassion on me in my chains. So the author of Hebrews, could be the Apostle Paul, we don't know for sure, says, Look, you had compassion on me while I went through chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So this is what they've already gone through. This is their spiritual resume is they accepted the plundering of their goods. The human tendency is to hold on hard to what you have, right? We squeeze it for for all it's worth. There's even people now that have perpetual pets. They'll freeze dry your pet for $400 to $800, right? Now, pets are awesome. Our, our dog, Lady Lou, she's, she's nine years old. She's a Newfoundland. She's a large dog. They leave, live between eight and ten years. And every morning, you can tell, she's she's starting to, to go. It's very difficult for her to get up, and her hips are starting to go. But when it's time, it's time. You know, we can't have a perpetual pet, you know. She would definitely be on the 800 range because she's so large. Time to, it's going to be, at some point it'll be time to, to let her go. And you think of possessions. How, how attached are we to our possessions? Well, you'll find out if you lose them, right? And, and so they were willing to, to let go of their, of their possessions. They were plundered for the name of Christ because of the enduring possession of heaven. They realized that their treasure in heaven could not be taken away from them. They had a better enduring possession, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 35 Therefore, do not cast away your, your confidence, which has great reward. Continue trusting in Christ, continue serving Christ, continue being in fellowship with believers. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You have need for endurance. So faith endures in confidence. Church, it's it's a long road, isn't it? This side of eternity. Once we get into heaven, we'll go, wow, that was really short. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe you're pondering walking away from the Lord. No, stay with Christ. He alone has the words of life. And this would be sobering, I think, if, if we got this letter. This letter was addressed to us and said, You have need for endurance. Because if you endure, you'll receive the promise. Can you apply that to your life tonight? Is there an area of your marriage where you need endurance? Is there areas a single person where you need endurance? Is there a step of faith that God's called you to where you need endurance? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna see this as a, a marathon. I'm gonna see this as a, a walk of faith. I'm gonna look to Jesus in the way that he endured. Faith endures. In verse 37, for yet in a little while, very soon we're gonna see this fulfilled. And he and yet for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So the endurance is just for a little while, and then Christ is gonna come the second coming of Jesus Christ, in verse 38, and here we have our key verse, now the just shall live by faith. Does it make sense now as we've read all of chapter 10? The just shall live by faith. How do we live? We live by faith. This phrase is used four times in the Bible, in the book of Habakkuk, the book of Romans, Galatians, and also here in Hebrews as well. Romans emphasizes faith. Galatians emphasizes the just, justified. And Hebrews emphasizes shall live. Faith produces life. And this flows right into chapter 11, into our study next week, of what faith looks like on a daily basis. What does it look like to trust the Lord and walk with the Lord in faith? But if anyone draws back, what are they drawing back from? From faith, from trusting in Christ for salvation My soul has no pleasure. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Amen? We're not drawing back from Christ. We're not drawing back from our confidence in him. So how do we live? The just shall live by faith. As we go, try to apply this. As you think about God using your life, the difficulties that you face, how do you oftentimes go to those mountains? Do you go to it through works? Well, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm fasting. Or do you approach those real life daily struggles through faith? God, you save me. You're faithful. I'm trusting in you. I know it's not by power or my might, but by your spirit. See, it's really easy to trust in our own works, isn't it? But God's saying, the just shall live by faith. How do we live? We live by faith. And I know for me, in challenges in my life, and just daily life, it's a lot easier said than done to really trust the Lord, to really live by faith. Some days are better than others. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. When we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, when we come to communion, we get back to the basics and they're so good. God, you're trustworthy. God, I can trust you. God, this is really no big deal. You solved the sin problem in my life. I'm able to enter into your throne room. So here's the challenge. I give it to you and I trust you by faith and I'm going to continue walking with you. I'm going to continue walking with you. Church, don't give up. Don't give up on the basics. It's simple, but it's never basic to draw near to Christ. It's so deep and so worthwhile. And we need one another in the body of Christ. Tonight, as we close in prayer, if if you're at a place where you've been hurt by the church, and maybe you've been coming, but you're saying, I'm going to keep myself at a distance, we'd love to pray with you, because God wants to do a healing work in your life. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never trusted him for salvation, it's only Jesus that can save you. We would love to pray with you and introduce you to Christ. Let's stand and pray together, and we'll move into communion. Jesus, we thank you for these warnings in Hebrews chapter 10 and we want to take them to heart. Thank you that we can draw near to you, that we have access to you, to your throne room, through your blood. and We come with confidence because of your sacrifice. We thank you that we're completely forgiven. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. That we belong to you. We want to draw near to you with a true heart. Lord, would you heal hearts? Maybe there's those that you know, have a deep wound in, in the body of Christ. Maybe it goes back five years or 10 years or 20 or even just a few weeks ago, but it's hurt very deep. Lord, would you heal? And would you protect? Or would you take us deeper in relationship with you and deeper in relationship with one another? Would you bless this time of communion? We love you in Jesus' name, amen.